All right. Let me introduce. There is um, there is a tension to the book of Acts that you that you need to understand, and I want to introduce it uh, by means of Netflix this morning um, somehow. So uh, there are there are um, there are many hot takes being written out there about the the new age of Netflix, um, Hulu, whatever whatever you choose, streaming. Uh, media. There are hot takes being written on this everywhere, um, on the whole idea of Netflix binge. There's people talking about what it's doing to our attention span, uh, what it's doing um, to us, kind of creating this slothful generation. There's talk about overindulgence, and we can go on and on and on in critique of the whole Netflix binge phenomenon. But one that I don't hear talked about enough that I find um, particularly sad is the death of a good cliffhanger. And what I mean by that, I, I value the art of words and writing and storytelling. And it grieves me that the all-important cliffhanger has essentially been eliminated from the stories of our culture. Um, I grew up, the, the, one of my favorite shows growing up, you, if, if you're old enough, you'll remember this, it was the old Batman series. Uh, not the anime cartoon, but the 1960 cartoon where Batman's in tights and out of shape car- show. Um, I, I grew up with that. He was my hero. And every story, every, every episode was the same. Uh, somehow Batman and Robin get themselves into another situation, and di- another dire situation where one of the villains has them, and there's all, no hope and, and doom and gloom, and then they cut it off, and it's always to be continued. And then you have to wait for the next episode where you see how, again, this week they get out of the impossible situation. This is how TV used to be done. This is how um, our books are written. And it's an important part of all storytelling. Then comes Netflix. At first, when it came out, it just asked you whether you wanted to just watch the next show and you had to say yes or no. Then they moved it to this autoplay feature where they give you 15 seconds and it will automatically play the next show. And then they realized that 15 seconds was way too long for Americans. And it is now, I think the reason is that it's now you got five seconds. And even still, you got to admit it, those five seconds are pretty long. Five seconds to hear the rest of the story. Five seconds for your next indulgence. It's just a continual indulgence of the story with no anticipation and no resolution. You need to know that the Gospels, all of them, all of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, end with a huge cliffhanger. And it's this. Jesus was crucified. He's risen from the dead. Now what? It's almost like the gospel writers are surprised by this, whoa, where did that come? He's risen and don't know what to do with this. So they just in the gospels. And there it's, it leaves us hanging of like, where do we go from here? Especially the gospel of Luke, which is important as we will see in a moment. In the gospel of Luke, he's risen from the dead. And then Luke describes the ascension where Jesus ascends back to the heavens and it's really a cliffhanger it's really a disciples just sitting there like what do we do now and it leaves you hanging 
The book of Acts is written as the resolution of that cliffhanger, of the gospel cliffhanger dilemma. In fact, that's exactly what it is. Look at the verse, look at first verse there of chapter one. In the first book, O Theophilus, if you don't know, um, Acts is the second volume to the gospel of Luke. So if you go to the beginning of Luke, you will see that it is addressed to someone named Theophilus. We don't really know who Theophilus is. Most historians suspect it's somebody, a high-ranking official and influential person that Luke is writing an account of Jesus and the early church to in order to influence. But in the Gospel of Luke, he begins by a preface to Theophilus. And now here in the, in the book of Acts, he again speaks to Theophilus saying, essentially, here's my second volume. Here is the, the continuation of my first. So it might better be able to think of Acts as Luke 2. You know, some of the Bible, some of the, some of the books in the Bible, are like, like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. It, it might better be think of it as 1 Luke, 2 Luke, because that's essentially how it's supposed to be read. But notice what Luke says here. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That word began is literally the key to understanding the entire book of Acts. If you're a Bible note person, circle it, underline it, point arrows to it, star it. Began sets up the entire book of Acts and helps us understand the purpose of it. Luke views the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus as only the beginning and by implication the book of Acts as the continuation. Acts is, as my sermon title says, Jesus continued. But here in the beginning, in the prologue, the prologue is those first five verses. So that's the little prologue and then the rest of the story will be different. The rest of the narration will be different. The first five verses, there's a prologue. Luke sets the scene for the entire story. And I'm going to show us two kind of foundational things that are going on in that prologue that we need to understand if we're going to understand Acts. We're going to look at the foundation of Jesus' ministry and then the continuation of Jesus' ministry. So first, the foundation. I'm telling you up front that my first point is much longer than the second point. So if I get to the end of the first point and you're looking at your watch like, oh my goodness, how long is it going to take? Just know that the first one, I am adding a lot of teaching here. So it'll feel more teaching than preaching in this first point where I need to make sure we understand uh, the foundation of these foundational truths of Acts. The foundation of Jesus' ministry. In verses 2 through 3, Luke fills in some important details that were not included in the first volume. If you go look at the last chapter of Luke, which, by the way, would be a great exercise in preparing for this sermon series. Go look at how Luke ended, because that's exactly where Acts picks up. If you look at the last chapter of Luke, um, it begins with the resurrection and it ends with the ascension. But what you need to know is that there were actually 40 days in between those two events. And a lot took place. And here, Luke fills in the details. He sums up that period of 40 days to catch us up to Acts. The wording is a bit awkward because he puts ascension first. The Greek is a little complicated, so let me just make sure you understand that wording there. Look at verse 2. 
until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So that's the end of Luke, where Jesus gave last minute instructions to the apostles and then is taken up into heaven. But now in verse 3 is his summary of what took place before that. So verse 3 is his summary of basically... um, from the cross into the ascension, which takes place in one chapter of, of, of the last chapter of Luke, this is his summing it up. And here's how he sums it up. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, what's significant to observe here is what, what Luke chooses to include in the summary. Specifically, he singles out two things that we got to understand heading into Acts. The resurrection and the kingdom of God. The cross, you'll notice, is only mentioned in passing. Very offhandedly, he says, after his suffering. Instead, it's resurrection and kingdom of God that has prominence here. And that's important to note as we begin this journey in Acts. The gospel of Luke, as in all the gospels, is dominated by the cross. It can be argued, in fact, that every gospel is essentially a story leading up to the climax that is Calvary. Well, if the gospels are cross-focused, the book of Acts is resurrection-focused, which by implication, and I'll explain this in a minute, means kingdom of God focus. So let's make sure we understand from the beginning both of these crucial elements because they will be very important. First, the resurrection. Now, you know what that is, but do you know its significance? As we get into Acts, you will see the resurrection spoken of as much, if not more than the cross. In fact, it can easily be argued that the entirety of Acts is an application of the resurrection. The modern church is very cross-centric, cross-focused, as it should be. Never be ashamed of the cross and its prominence. But you need to know the early church and the movement of Christianity that began in the ancient world was a resurrection-focused movement, or maybe a cross and resurrection. They were held together in importance. Here's, here's, here's why the resurrection was so important. It was because the resurrection, above all else, convinced the ancient world that Jesus was, in fact, who he claimed to be. Look again at verse 3. He pre- look, how it words the, look at how Luke words uh, the resurrection. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. That's a really strange way to essentially say Jesus was resurrected. It's almost like he's saying Jesus was this 40-day miracle exhibition traveling show going about putting himself on display for all to see. But the point is, is that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what Jesus did. Don't overcomplicate the resurrection. He proved by real evidence to the apostles and hundreds others that he was alive and therefore he is true. More than anything else, the resurrection is his vindication. Look once again at verse 1. 
In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. What we need to understand is that everything Jesus began to do and teach would have ended were it not for the resurrection. Everything he did and everything he said would be buried in history and not talked about at all were it not for the resurrection. He did a lot and he taught a lot and all of it was exceedingly radical, dare I say, preposterous. Everything from his claim to be the divine son of God to his atoning death on a cross that he said would forgive the world its sins. It was all so outrageous. But the resurrection proved it to be outrageously true. Were it not for the resurrection, he would have been forgotten as another crazy man. But because of the resurrection, to this day, we're talking about him as true. And thus the book of Acts came to being. The movement we will see unfold in Acts is not your typical religious movement. That is very important to understand. It is not your typical movement wherein a new idea or philosophy or teaching or cult following begins to catch on and spread. Rather, Acts is a historical response to a historical event that changed the world forever by definitively proving that Jesus of Nazareth, all that he said and all that he did is definitively true. That's the book of Acts. Jesus is risen from the dead, therefore Jesus is true, therefore repent and follow him. I just summed up the entire book. They went through the ancient world telling people that. And this resurrection movement was given a name by Jesus himself, which brings us to the second thing that we have to understand that Luke chooses to single out. Not just the resurrection, but the kingdom. Look again at verse 3. Presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. To understand Acts... It is very important for us to know what Jesus means by kingdom of God. And in my experience, that's difficult for um, the modern church in America. The kingdom of God remains this idea that people struggle to understand exactly what is this thing that Jesus talked about so much and is so prominent in the scriptures. And in my experience, the reason why people have a hard time understanding this idea is because we don't use the term kingdom anymore. But kingdom is just, it it just speaks to the notion of a sovereign rule. So for instance, I'll, I'll explain it this way. America is a sovereign nation. We have our own constitution, laws, authority structures, and even more subtle things like we have our own worldview and ideas and culture. All of that is the kingdom of America. So don't overcomplicate this. That's all the Bible is talking about when it speaks of the kingdom of God. God's sovereign rule with its own law, authority, worldview, ethic, culture, and all these different things. But there are two main differences when it comes to the kingdom of God. The first is obvious. 
This is not a democracy. It's a monarchy. The reason why America is not called a kingdom is because we have no king. And that's a good thing. But the kingdom of God does have a king. His authority is the authority. His rules are the rules. His glory is the glory. His culture is the culture. The sovereign rule of the kingdom is the sovereign rule of the king. King Jesus. The second difference is this. The kingdom of God has no borders. So America is a sovereign nation with borders. I don't know if you've heard that said recently. We, we have borders, okay? That is to say there are limitations to our sovereign rule. There is a point where it begins and there's a point where it ends. Once you cross Canada or Mexico or once you step off an international flight into America, you are on American soil. Now you are subject to the sovereign rule and reign of America, But what's interesting about the kingdom of God is that it is spoken of as a sovereign rule without borders. His kingdom shall have no end, to use the prophet's words. And that's the way Jesus spoke of his kingdom. Unlike other kingdoms which have beginning and ends, he viewed his kingdom as transcending every earthly kingdom and nation. The president of the United States does not travel to China, for example... And step off the plane and declare the kingdom of America is at hand. And I demand that China follow American rules, submit to American authority, adopt American culture, and so forth. Good luck with that. But this is exactly what Jesus did. His public ministry began with that exact announcement. The kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent of this kingdom, this culture, this way, and follow me. Declare me your king. Become a citizen of my kingdom. Submit to my authority. Live according to my rules. Adopt my culture and worldview. The kingdom of God has no borders, but instead transcends all earthly borders. And the implication, of course, is this. Jesus is the rightful sovereign king over all things. Abraham Kuyper, there is not a square inch over which the risen Christ does not declare mine. I own that. My kingdom stretches from shore to shore. My kingdom rules over all. Now, do you understand why they killed him? Who does this man think he is to show up and declare a rival kingdom has arrived that is sovereign over every other kingdom? Go back now, through that lens that I just explained, the kingdom of God, and I hope that makes, helps you understand it better. Now go back and read the conversation that he had with Pilate before his crucifixion. And it's all about this stuff. Pilate is trying to figure this guy out. He's like, so are you a king? Like, and where's your kingdom? And what are they talking about? Why do they keep calling you king? And they can't understand him. And, and Jesus is very bold and audacious with, with Pilate. He made it very clear that not only is he king, but that he is, his kingdom transcends every worldly kingdom, including yours, Rome. And so they killed him with a sign, mocking him, nailed above his head, hail to the king, meaning we killed your king. But now do you see the importance of the resurrection in the kingdom of God? And... It was this once 
and for all declaration that you cannot defeat this king and you cannot stop his kingdom. But then something truly unexpected happened. Plot twist. The king is gone. He's ascended. You're going to see next week in next week's passage. What you're going to see is the disciples are so excited. And they're going to say, oh, he's risen. He's resurrected. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Is it time? And he says, no, I'm leaving. (laughs) Like, what? They didn't see that coming. So here's what they, they kill him. He comes back. He proves he's alive. He teaches about the kingdom and then he leaves. Talk about a cliffhanger. Who saw that one coming? And it seems that the plan has been ruined and hope is lost for the kingdom, except that Jesus' final words to his apostles hint at a to be continued. To be continued. We've seen the foundation of Jesus' ministry, which is resurrection and kingdom. Those are the two essential truths for Acts. Now let's look briefly at the continuation of Jesus' ministry. And the reason why I say briefly is because this will be now the story going forward. The continuation of Jesus' ministry. Verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem... But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, I am not going to take the time to exegete and explain baptism of the Holy Spirit this morning. It will be a major theme in the weeks to come, specifically when we get to Pentecost, I promise you, I promise you, because I know you want this answered, I will thoroughly explain the meaning of baptism of the Holy Spirit because that is such a misunderstood doctrine. We'll get there. Just set it aside, please. For our purposes this morning, I want you to see the bigger picture of what's going on here. Before the resurrected king leaves, he tells them to stay in Jerusalem to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Fundamentally, the baptism of the Holy Spirit produces the indwelling presence and power of Jesus to every believer in Jesus. Do you remember in our study in John 13 through 17, there is that strange moment where Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to have to leave, but it's good for you that I leave Because when I leave, the Spirit will come. And his point is that Jesus inside you is far better than Jesus beside you. The Holy Spirit of Jesus is the multiplication of Jesus in the lives of the followers of Jesus. That's how the kingdom of God spreads. The king indwells his citizens and then tells his citizens to go to all the nations. And in this way, his sovereign rule and reign infiltrates, transcends, and transforms every tongue, tribe, and nation. That, friends, is the book of Acts. It is Jesus Continued. Jesus rises from the dead, teaches his apostles about the kingdom, leaves them, but tells them to wait to be baptized by his spirit. And then once indwelled by Jesus, they go out into the world as the continuation of all that Jesus began to say and to do. Simply put, we are going to witness the kingdom of God spread throughout the ancient world with its transformative power. 
And all along the way, we interpret that kingdom-spreading movement in light of the fact that it continues to this day. I'm going to tell you up front what will be my repeated application for us in Acts. You're going to get bored with it, but I'm going to keep telling you. This was not an isolated first century movement, but the beginning of a movement that carries on into the 21st century here in the bluegrass. You have the same baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have the power and presence of Jesus within you. You are bearers of his sovereign rule and reign. You are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And so, yes, everything we are going to see in Acts directly applies to you. The cliffhanger was answered immediately when the Spirit came and still comes. This is why, actually... As I thought about that illustration, Netflix, with its continual one story after another, actually is a better picture of the story of the kingdom of God. One of the major traps that we fall into as Christians is to view the story with a cliffhanger mentality, meaning this. Jesus' first coming was part one, and his ascension was this massive historical cliffhanger, and essentially the Christian life is waiting for the sequel, Waiting for part two when he comes again. And in between, we do some evangelism maybe and try to convince people that he's coming again and you should look forward to the sequel too. That's essentially the Christian life. Brothers and sisters, that is not how Luke views the story. That is not how the Bible views the story. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, in the book of Acts, I will deal with all that Jesus continues to do. The cliffhanger of Jesus ascending is immediately answered by the descending of the spirit of Jesus at the beginning of Acts. And in this way, the story of Jesus doesn't miss a beat. And the continuation extends all the way to this very moment in our day. That is to say, part two is you. You are the story. I am the story. This community is the story of Jesus' continuation. But the fundamental question of application now, we'll get to all of that in the weeks and months to come. The fundamental question of application now at the beginning of our study of Acts is to settle in your minds and hearts this one question. Where does your citizenship lie? In Acts, the apostles and early church go into the ancient world as if they belong to a new world. As if they are bearers of a new culture a new nation, a new kingdom. Their king was risen from the dead, which means his kingdom is the true kingdom. And they were citizens and ambassadors of that kingdom, continuing the work of their king, and nothing is going to stop them, not persecution, imprisonment, or even their own martyrdom. It was settled in their minds. Is it settled in your heart? By the way, for for those of you who are here and, and would just honestly say, no, it's not settled who would not call yourself a follower of Jesus and like all this kingdom of God talk is crazy. What is this guy talking about? Here's 
Here's what I would say. Having, having, having said everything that I've said now, and maybe you've never heard, um, maybe you've never heard a Christian talk about Christianity that way. Having heard everything I said now, here would be my challenge. Go back now to the Gospels that tell the story of Jesus. That would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Get a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can take the one in the pew in front of you. Go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now through this lens. Jesus arrived and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. A new world has arrived. Now I want you to follow his story. And I want you to look at that new world. He is basically, when you read the story of Jesus, he's basically this oasis of the kingdom of God in and among the kingdoms of this world. And I want you to look at his world. I want you to look at his kingdom. I want you to look that sickness and disease has no place in the kingdom of God. I want you to look as the poor and outcasts are welcomed into the kingdom of God. I want you to look as the arrogant and the powerful and the ones that unjustly rule this world, he he rebukes by the kingdom of God. I want you to look at the ethics of it. I want you to look at the love of it. I want you to look at prostitutes full of sin and shame saying, come into my kingdom. I want you to look at them and say to little children with their joy and their laughter and their just beautiful faith when he says, that's what the kingdom looks like. I want you to look at his kingdom and ask, is that not a world you want to be a part of? I mean, how cruel is this world? How destructive and awful is the kingdom of this world? I want you to understand that the gospel is inviting you. Yes, forgiveness of sin. Yes, your soul saved. All that stuff you've probably heard before. But it's inviting you into a new reality, into a new world with a new destiny. And it looks like the world of Jesus in the gospels. But to those of you who are followers of Jesus, encounter yourself as members of his kingdom. Listen, you need to settle this in your heart and mind because Acts is really going to challenge that. Where does your citizenship lie? First and foremost, is your constitution the American Constitution or the Bible? And I'm a fan of the American Constitution. I think it's the best government document the world's ever produced. It ain't no Bible, though. What's your constitution? What is your ethic? Is it the ethic of America or the ethics of the kingdom and the Sermon on the Mount? Go look at the ethics of our world and maybe the ethics that you're you're following, the ethics of of greed and overconsumption and self-exaltation and overworking and all these things that America loves and values. And then go look at the kingdom of God and say, here's the ethic, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. What's your ethic? The ethic of America or the ethic of the kingdom of God? What's your culture? You know America's culture. What's your culture? Is it American culture or is the culture of the kingdom of God? American culture is simple. Make as much money as you can and enjoy life as much as you can. The kingdom of God culture says this. Give your life away. Give your money away to the purposes of a kingdom. Give your resources away to the comfort of a kingdom. Suffer for your neighbor. You know the American culture. It's pride, arrogance, self-exaltation, individualism. Here's the, here's the culture of the kingdom of God. Humility, dependence, not individualism, but community and submission. You know American culture. It tells you your sexuality is yours to determine it. Figure it out. What do you enjoy? It's yours. Do your thing. Here comes the culture and the ethics. 
of the kingdom of God, it says Jesus gets to tell you what your sexuality is. Jesus gets to tell you what to do with your body. And he's so radical about it, he says, if you're lusting, gouge out your eye and cut off your hand. That's how serious I am about what you do with your body. I mean, on and on I could go with this, but you see the point I'm making here. Where does your citizenship lie? Settle that now as we get into Acts because this is going to be a journey of kingdom citizens encountering and transforming the kingdoms of this world. But if you are a follower of Jesus and dwelt by the spirit of Jesus, that question has already been answered for you. You belong to the kingdom of God. By the way, that's why you're so unsettled and convicted if you're not living that way. He won't leave you alone because that's not where you belong. It's not your citizenship. You belong to the kingdom of God. In fact, you bear the kingdom of God within. And so as we get into Acts and watch these spirit-filled citizens of the kingdom of God transform the world among them, we will be left dreaming about that same story continuing in our lives and in the community around us. We will be left dreaming time and time again about Jesus continued today in me. Let me pray. Lord, we come to you with this high and holy ambition of your kingdom, recognizing at the same time that every day we are surrounded by Uh, the ways of this world and enticed by the ways of this world and it's hard to live as citizens of the kingdom in a world that is different. We need your help. You help us in the proclamation of the word just now and now you help us as we tangibly uh, taste and feed upon your promises in the sacraments. I pray that in the same way you have changed us by a sermon, you would change us now by a sacrament. Bless this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.